Blog Talk Radio. All right. Um, looks like my music didn't start. Well, a great start to another episode, and uh, we're here. Um, I'm guessing that I'm live. Uh, if anybody is listening and can hear me, it would be great to know that someone can hear me. Um, well, we'll look into why my music didn't play. Uh, so it's been an interesting week. Uh, we didn't have a show last week. I was under the weather. I had a wedding on Saturday, so we were going to do it on Friday. Uh, I did send the doctor, we did a, a, a shortened episode with the doctor and some of my thoughts, and everything ended up, uh, I got to say, pretty well. Um, even though I didn't feel good, I had my best finish in DFS ever. I came in 10th place in the play action, which was worth 3 k and that uh, took me out of the red and into the black, um, Neil Young said out of the blue and into the black, but uh, in this case, unfortunately, it was out of the red and into the black, and a uh, lot, of, lot of stuff going on. I, I, I wish we had the couch coach on today. We could talk about kneeling and President Trump, but uh, I, I don't know that uh, too many people listen to me for political advice. Uh, but I, I've always felt that it's kind of stupid that everyone makes such a big deal about people taking a knee. If if that's a peaceful protest, I think that's what America is based on. And I respect you know everyone's right to protest peaceably in this country. So I, I don't get all the angst personally. And I bet that uh, you're going to see a lot more people protesting tomorrow based on the comments that we heard yesterday. So uh, that's enough on that. Uh, we don't have Sal live this week. He went to see a concert of uh, Sammy Hagar. He was invited to a Sammy Hagar concert very late in the process. So um, I decided that no problem. We could tape it. We're pretty mellow here. So we'll get to Sal's segment in a minute. And after Sal's segment, we'll have the Mauler on live and we'll be giving you our DFS picks. After that, I've got the tape segment that I have every week with Dr. Budoff. I, I don't have Couch Coach today, so we'll get to LJ a little before the hour. And then we'll have Matt on for the numbers game and we'll finish up with Dominic. It looks like we'll be under two hours this time unless I pick a really long song at the end. So that is um, some of the bigger storylines. That's the success that I had last week in DFS. So now I've got, I, I took 1500 out and I left 2000 in. So I'm playing, I'm going to play about 500 this week. And I did something that I normally don't do. And I played the Thursday games. And the reason I did is because I wanted Hyde's ownership. I subscribed at Daily Roto, and they had Hyde, uh, at least on Wednesday, I didn't look today, as their number one play. So I played some cash, and then literally at the last minute, I, I, I also had 20, uh, 20 of the $3 lineups and a couple others. And I had Hyde at about eight of those 20 lineups, 
couple minutes before lock, literally three minutes before lock, I decide, you know what, I'm going to make three or four girly lineups. And, of course, Todd Gurley, who a lot of us had questions about going into the year, um, you know, bad offense, are they going to be any better, X, Y, and Z. So Todd Gurley goes for 40 points. So I got him in a couple cash games, I think. Uh, but mostly hide and cash. I got those eight hide lineups. I got the four lineups with Gurley. So Thursday's off to a decent start. I, I didn't have any Sammy Watkins, uh, but it was really nice to see Sammy get going. I have Sammy's tied for second in my MFL 10 ownership. And speaking of my MFL 10s, I'm off to a very good start there, but it's it's a little uh, illusionary uh, because most of my winning lineups have Kareem Hunt in them. 17 of my 26 win- MFL winning lineups have Kareem Hunt. And, of course, we know he went for 55 points or 56 points, something like that week one. And as good as he looks like he's going to be, there's no way he keeps up that pace. So, uh It's going to give the field a chance to catch up with me the longer this goes. But uh, getting Sammy going, I also have a lot of Will Fuller shares. So it'll be nice to get uh, Will Fuller back. Uh, Looks like it's going to be a matter of a week or two until I get Will Fuller back. So some of those teams have Will Fuller. I don't think, and if it sounds like I'm killing a little airtime, it is because the mauler is going to come on around 9.20. My segment with Sal's only about 11 or 12 minutes. So uh, I'm going to bore you with some other mundane facts about my NFL life while we're waiting. Uh, one nice thing is that um, I'm also doing, you know, I haven't made money at MFLs the last two years. I put a lot more effort into it this year, started writing. And, you know, that's all exciting. And the op- the early start doing so well is very exciting. I never, um, the thing that I found is that doing a lot of MFLs has made me much more ready for season long. And between my season long redraft and my dynasty teams, that you have to start a starter each week. I'm 12 and two out of the gate. So good, really, really encouraging there. Uh, Again, it's very early, but I can honestly say that the few years I didn't pay much attention to pre-draft and just showed up, I always seem to get off to slow starts. And I don't think I've ever really had a great team that started 0 and 2. So it's nice to be winning most of my leagues. Uh, Got a lot of situations in my MFL 10 ownerships that aren't so great, but uh, I'm going to start going down. We got about three or four more minutes to get through. So I'm going to read off some of my, my highest owned players in MFL 10s, and we'll talk about how they look out of the gate. My number one ownership is, again, this is out of 149 lineups. A really odd thing happened. I didn't try and keep my ownerships down, but by using the draft tool, the ADP tool on RotoViz every week like I did, and with the player movement and just going after the players that I liked but that were also a value, 
I really don't have anybody owned over 23, 24%. And the reason that's kind of good is because a couple of them have already gotten hurt. But my number one ownership is tied between the Tampa Bay Bucks defense, who had a great week one, but not everyone is going to be Chicago. I do think Tampa is a very intriguing defense again this week. Uh, Zach Ertz is my uh, highest owned player player. And I cut back taking on him late because I had at one point over 40% on Ertz. And it just kind of dawned on me as much as I liked him, tight ends get hurt a lot. But he's still my number one ownership, and he is off to a great start. Uh, Then the next four guys are all tied at 33. Gio Bernard, who we'll talk about more later in the show. Charles Clay, good start. Stefan Diggs, good start. But now we got to worry about Sam Bradford's injury. We'll talk about him with the uh, the doctor, Sam Bradford, on that knee injury. And Sammy Watkins. And Sammy went off, which was great. Uh, my next uh, Will Fuller at 31. He'll be coming back soon. Then at 30, I've got Eagles defense, Matt Forte, and Kenny Stills. I still think Kenny Stills is a good best ball guy the way I've got him. Jay Ajayi, Cincinnati Bengals, Kyle Rudolph, and the ill-fated Spencer Ware with 29. But where going down has, as mentioned earlier, opened up my ownership for my Kareem Hunt share. So I stack cuffed them six times, and I've got Hunt, I think, 22 times. Uh, Jordan Howard at 28, not looking like a very good pick. Jamal Charles at 27 needs an injury. The Rams defense has been very good, 27. Russell Wilson, not very good, 27. Devin Funches at 26, Malcolm Mitchell, who got hurt at 26, Raiders defense and Jags defense are next. Um, And then we get down to the 23s where I've got Rex Burkhead, Jamison Crowder, off to a slow start, but he's been hurt, and Carlos Hyde, who has been fantastic. I do have 22 shares of Manny Sanders, Gurley, Fitz, and Richard Matthews. Uh, More good than bad there. So, I think I got a decent shot with my MFLs this year. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I, I hope that some of the guys who have gotten off the slow starts by like Russell Wilson will get going. And uh, we've now gotten to enough time where I can play the Sal segment without it being an issue later in the show. So, I'm going to find Sal's entry music, and then I will play the segment with Sal. Here's the interview with Sal. Please, welcome to the show, Sal Lido. Sal, how are you today? Doing great today, Todd. Good to be back. Yeah, I, you know, I couldn't make it last week, and I was checking through the mail and the feedback that we got from the first episode. It was mostly pretty good. 
But um, everyone keeps telling me that you got to do start-sit questions. In general, don't you hate start-sit questions? Yeah, they're so you, you don't know what's going on in the league. You don't know what the rest of their roster is. It's hard to look, you know, not be looking at somebody else's roster and make start-sit decisions for them. Right. So uh, we've decided that we would acquiesce and, and, you know, because of overwhelming pressure and start adding some start-sit questions. Um, you've got the questions, correct? Oh, I got them. These are some doozies. Yes, sir. All right. I'm ready. I'm ready, for, I'm ready to start and I'm ready to sit. In fact, I'm okay. already sitting. Excellent. You're, you're halfway there. All right. The first one up is from Mrs. Janine Kerfuffle of Idaho Springs, Idaho. And Janine wants to know if she should start Blake Bortles or Tyrod Taylor this week. And here's the kicker. Her scoring system is basic PPR. Well, I would say, Janine Kerfuffle, that you should go to Fantasy Pros and you should look up the ratings um, you got like a thousand different analysts who can tell you who they like better that week, uh, or you could spend thirty bucks and get yourself a subscription, and someone will tell you who to start and who to sit. Who's next, Sal? Oh, excellent! Up next is a guy from my neck of the woods, Joe Flegenbottom. That's right, Flegenbottom of New York City wants to know if he should start Leonard Fournette or Marshawn Lynch in a standard league. Well, uh, you know, standard leagues have their own, you know, particular things that you've got to take into account. So I think that uh, Leonard should go to Fantasy Pros and look up the ratings there and decide who he wants to start because there's like a thousand people there who give you for free uh, their rankings. So anyone can probably get the start sit information, or he could break down and spend thirty bucks and get a subscription, and then he will have the answers he's looking for. All right, last question, Sal. Who's left? This is one uh, you're going to have to dig deep on this one, Todd. This is an answer that a question many people are probably looking for an answer to. This comes from Dantana, all the way out in Las Vegas. Dan Wait, Dantana in Las Vegas? That's right. I know it's crazy, but true. It's just like a TV show. <laughs> so Dan wants to know, should he start a diet this week or should he just sit on his fat ass all week? Um, I'm going to say that he should go to Fantasy Pros <laughs> and find the thinnest analyst that he can and then start his diet. Uh, Mike Tagliari is kind of thin. He might want to hit up Tagliari. There you go. So uh, uh, we have we now officially have a start-sit segment? That is in a sense, it starts this segment, yes. Okay. Well, I, I, you know, I don't have that much sense, but at least we have that going for us. Um, let's talk about a couple key issues that uh, you found interesting this week, Sal. Um, one of the big games is Green Bay and Cincinnati. And I got to ask you, are the Bengals this bad? Or is it a sneaky good week to play Dalton and A.J. Green? Oh, I definitely think it's a sneaky good week to play Dalton. That's my favorite stack of the week, favorite sneaky GPP stack of the week, because who's going to be playing Andy Dalton this week? I mean, he's going to be – do you want low ownership? This guy's coming off of two absolute duds. I think, Green, I think the to answer your question, the only guy doing that will be Woody from Toy Story because of the whole ginger connection. Oh, awesome. I, the gingers have to stick together. I've heard they had no souls. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, – I, I think they do, but they're flaky. <laughs> so I, if you go back to 2016, uh, nobody was worse in defending wide receivers than the Green Bay Packers. They gave up 26 
receiving touchdowns, over 3,000 receiving yards to wide receivers. This is an unbelievably great week to get A.J. Green in there. A lot of people are down on him. This even goes for your, your regular home leagues and, and redraft football. If you can make a trade for, for A.J. Green, get it done before this week because I think that Green Bay is going to possibly get up early in this game and there's going to be no choice for the Bengals but to be throwing. And I think whether Dalton even turns the ball over a time or two or not, he's gonna. if A.J. Green has a big day, that means Dalton has to have a big day. And I love these two guys. So Bill Lazor is uh, pretty pass-happy. He's the new offensive coordinator, A.J. Green, squeaky wheel, complained and got the offensive coordinator fired. And what's interesting is normally when players get uh, coordinators fired, there's a lot of kickback from the people, uh, you know, fans, especially on Twitter, who is he, blah, blah, blah. I really didn't see anything about that in the press, and I have to think it's because that – the Bengals have been so bad that everyone was like, yeah, that guy's got to go. Yeah, and A.J. Green is an established stud player. I mean, he's he's done these things for years for, for the Bengals. I don't think he's going to get much kickback because if one of the two have to go, it's not going to be A.J. Green. So um, I also, you know, maybe this isn't the week you want to be doing it, but if you want to go super contrarian, you want to go super deep, I got a feeling that the three-headed monster goes away this week. And maybe they moved to Joe Mixon. They drafted this guy. We heard a lot in the preseason. You don't draft a guy like this with that type of baggage and, and just not play him. So they brought him in. They've dealt with all the BS that comes along with bringing him in. Jeremy Hill, in my opinion, is a guy who I've loved for, for years. Just can't get it done. I believe Bernard stays a part of that offense. But I think there's a possibility we might see the, uh, the Joe Mixon era start this week. Yeah, I do expect to see more of Mixon, but I, I, I'm i going to tell you that my sneaky running back play of the week is Gio Bernard. And hear me out on this. I think that Bill Lazor, again, I've mentioned, and it's been mentioned in a lot of places, that when he was with Miami, they were very pass-happy. Um, who's the best pass-catching back on that team? Gio Bernard. And they're playing the Green Bay Packers. There's a very good chance they're going to be behind. Gio Bernard is 3,800 on DraftKings. Uh, last week, I, I put Chris Thompson out there as the guy, and he he got me, you know, helped get me three grand. I'm putting Gio Bernard in that spot this week. I think he has a chance to put up a pretty big week. I can't argue with that. I love the play. It's uh. It's a good value, and uh, I might have to go switch some lineups around. <laughs> well, I do have, I admit to, having at least one Dalton Bernard A.J. Green stack. So even if you get a stack where A.J. Green is uh, matched with Andy Dalton, you know, in a big tournament, maybe it's a 2% ownership with both of them. And then you throw in Gio Bernard, and now you're completely different. So I, I would say if you really like a roster, maybe what you do is you make two. You make one with Duke Johnson at 4,200 and whatever defense, and then the other one with Gio Bernard at 3,800. That way, if Gio doesn't do much, you got another shot at a big week with Duke. All right, moving on. Um, the, the other question that you've asked yourself this week and um, I got to tell you, I'm a little worried about you talking to yourself, but that's another subject. Is it <laughs> as simple as starting any tight end against the Browns? They're the worst in 2016. They're off to a brutal start in 2017. Um, and you, you, you mentioned Jack Doyle, who is one of my favorite plays of the week. 
Uh, how high are you on Doyle, and will you have more Doyle or more Ertz in your GPP builds this week? Yeah, I think Ertz is the guy that most people are going to go with. But uh, for me, it's Doyle. Doyle is uh, at a ridiculously good value, and Cleveland can't – they couldn't stop you and me at tight end. You and I went out there. We put up a touchdown each this week. I might get two. I'm a little bit better shape. But I, I digress on that as well. Um, no, that was a good one. <laughs> Cleveland – I resemble gave up, that remark. Yeah, <laughs> Cleveland gave up two touchdowns in, in week one to uh, to Jesse James. Who? Last week, yes, that's right, the villain, the great Jesse James. Uh, last week, they they came out, I thought it was going to be Nick Boyle, because Nick Boyle got a high snap percentage in week one, but it was Ben Watson. Ben Watson came out last week and looked like he was 15 years younger and lit them up for, for quite a great day. So to me, every single week, you look for who's playing Cleveland, you find that tight end, and you put them in your lineups. It's just, it is as simple as that for me, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I got to admit to a little – well, I don't want to spoil the Mauler segment too much, but I think there's some definite uh, possibilities for fantasy goodness on Indianapolis this week, and uh, I'll leave it at that. Sure, I'm sure. I'm, I can't wait to listen. I'll be tuning in. So you said you're going to a concert tonight. What concert are you going to see? Oh, this is going to make us all sound a little bit old. So a friend of mine, he's, his brother couldn't make it. He had extra tickets. So I'm going to see Sammy Hagar tonight. So will you be driving 55? Uh, wait, we can't drive 55. No, no. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be cruising much higher than that and uh, playing some, some great tunes, a little Van Hagar. I hear that uh, – He's got Jason Bottom on drugs, so we'll be getting a little bit of Led Zeppelin songs going as well. So should be a good time. Yeah, that sounds like fun. Any other uh, things kind of catch your eye this week? Um, I love the the Detroit-Atlanta game. I think there's so much fantasy goodness in there. I'm big on Theo Riddick this week. Uh, the Falcons, we can go over this every week. They are the worst at defending pass-catching running backs. They they were the worst in all three categories last year, and they are on pace to absolutely obliterate how bad their numbers were last year. So to me, that's a guy I definitely want to get up my lineup, and there's plenty of guys in that game that you could put in. All right. The Chronicles of Riddick. Um, you're not going to the movie. You're going to a concert. Uh, we'll look forward to having you back live next week, Sal. Excellent, Todd. Have a good weekend, everybody. Enjoy the games tomorrow. All right. That was Sal Lito, everyone. Uh, we'll take a short break, and we'll come back with the mauler. We're back. Uh, we had some issues, technical difficulties. Mauler, can you hear me? Absolutely. Can you hear me? I can. So um, little explanation for the folks out there. Um, I know we had a little bit of dead air. I had my mic muted. I was trying to, if you listen to the Sal segment, the metronome, 
was going while we um, while I interviewed him, and I did the same thing with the doctors. So I was trying to reopen the doctors. So I'm going to ask you, Mueller, just to take over the air for a second and talk about um, your favorite game of the week for DFS. Um, I'm going to try and restart this and see if um, the the revised doctor thing is up, and then we'll come back and we'll do our positions, okay? Yeah, no problem. Uh, I'm looking at uh, a few games. Atlanta versus Detroit should be high scoring. Uh, I know Detroit's defense has uh, looked pretty good the first two weeks, but Atlanta's offense is a juggernaut, so. Um, you know, you're looking at multiple positional plays there, uh, and that came from both Atlanta and Detroit. You have uh, four total running backs probably to choose from between Riddick and Abdullah, uh, Freeman and Coleman. Hey, Moeller, try and talk into the phone a little more. Oh, yeah, no problem. Um, you could uh, I s- look at still don't hear you that well. Okay. Let's try that a little better. Much better. There you are. And, uh, you know, even the tight ends, Hooper and, and Ebron, have some value in that game. So uh, that's one of my favorite games. Uh, I'm always liking New Orleans. Um, and then uh, just kind of picking out chalk. Uh, I like, uh, you know, Pittsburgh and uh, Miami, hoping uh, Bell and uh, Jay Ajay can, can, can you know, do their thing. So sounds like you're ready to go and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll kick it back to you. All right. One more thing. And, uh, all right. I think we're ready. So, um, let's start with the quarterback position. Why don't you give us your high end play, your low to medium play and your favorite contrarian play at the quarterback position for DraftKings this week? Well, I'm looking uh, up top at 6,800 Derek Carr. Uh, he did well last week, as you know. Um, he helped you to a nice uh, finish up top, and uh, we were all pulling for you, so congrats there. And uh, he's, he's my favorite top tier. I mean, you can always look at Matt Ryan, as I said, but I think uh, he's in a good position in a, a, against Washington on the road. And we've seen over the last year or so, um, you know, they – they're not scared to throw the ball. So I think uh, he's in a good position. Some guys that I really like, if you're looking for value, um, you're going to call me crazy. They're both contrarian. It's Andy Dalton and, brace yourself, Eli Manning. Um, I think as an athlete, when you're challenged, and, you know, uh, as coach challenged Eli this week, you kind of take it to heart. And I think he's going to respond with a big game this week. Odell will have a second game back, and I think he'll uh, he'll play a big role in that. So he's a value contrarian uh, play that I like. And the same with the Red Rocket, Andy Dalton. They're 0-2. They're going into Green Bay. Knowing damn well if they lose, the, uh, the season's over for them. So I think Dalton comes out firing. Uh, if he loses, there's a chance that uh, he doesn't start next week. So I like those two guys' as value plays and also contrarian plays. And then uh, I heard you and Sal mention – uh, in a previous segment, I really like uh, Jacoby Brisket at 4,800. I think there's huge value for Indiana, uh, Indianapolis at home against Cleveland. Um, you know, that Cleveland defense isn't really good, and 
Uh, Biscuit will be there for his third week now, and uh, I just think there's some good value there. So that's uh, my few guys for the week that I like. And they, most of those guys outside of car should be fairly low owned. And I think compared to the Brady's and the Rodgers and the Matt Ryan's, I think Carr will be um, lower owned than, than them as well. So. Yeah, um, it looks like the doctor segment has been fixed, so we won't have that annoying metronome sound. Um, on the top end, I've got a bunch of people. I mean, I, I guess the biggest take that I could give on the upper end is that I'm fading Cam Newton. Uh, it's it's a crunch spot, and everyone, you know, he's going to have pretty high ownership, and I do have a good a bit of his receivers and a little bit of McCaffrey, but I, I, I just, you know, until Cam either starts running or throwing the ball better, uh, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be underweight significantly on Cam Newton. I guess Stafford is also my highest owned. He's my cash game guy, so definitely I have the most dollars on Stafford. I, I was looking at Cousins for cash early in the week, but for 100 extra, uh, definitely like Stafford there. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, my contrarian play is uh, uh, Jacoby Brissett. Uh, you know, I think most people are going to go down and pay for the other guy in that game, Deshaun Kaiser. And I've listened to a lot of other analysts this week, and, and it seems to be that no one likes Brissett. But I, I really do think people are underestimating you know, if you're just looking at how he looked the last two weeks and maybe what he did in New England, I mean, this is a home game. He's He's got good weapons, and he's going to be significantly lower owned, I think, than Deshaun Kaiser. So he is my contrarian play there. Mauler, take us to the running back position. Yeah, um, before I go there, I, I am absolutely with you on the Cam Newton fade. When I saw early on in the week all the people that were on him, it kind of um, made me happy, you know, made me smile because I know they're, those guys are going to play him this weekend. And if you and I think um, – if what you and I think happen, is going to happen happens, then we're going to be in great shape. So I uh, totally agree with you there. And um, Yeah, I'll, I'll I, I just think that, you know – what what you fear is the 30-point week out of Cam. But the 30, 35-point Cam is the running quarterback Cam. You know, I'm not afraid of a 20-point week with high ownership uh, against New Orleans, which would be a pretty good passing day for Cam. You know, 300 yards, 15 points, two touchdowns, maybe an interception, 20, 21 points, little rushing yards. You know, he, that's not going to kill you. Um, and then if he doesn't have a big week, you're you're sitting pretty fat. So sorry to cut you off. Uh, let's get to those running backs. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm up top with the running backs. I like Le'Veon, of course, against uh, Chicago. Pittsburgh should lead that whole game, and uh, he should get as many touches as as he wants tomorrow. So 8,800, I don't think is too much for him tomorrow. But hopefully he gets in the end zone. Um, I like Jay Ajayi uh, at the Jets. Um, Jets aren't very good. Again, Miami should hold the lead in this game, so they'll be running that quite a bit. And we saw last week um, he gets he gets all he can eat too. So he's my you know second top tier guy. I like Ty Montgomery again as everybody did last week. But when you have a guy who runs the ball on early downs and runs the ball when you're ahead, but catches the ball in, in passing situations and catches the ball 
when you're behind. I mean, he's, he's such a fantasy weapon, so I think he's almost a must-play every week until he shows otherwise. Um, and then moving down, I'm going to stick with C.J. Anderson's hot streak. Uh, I've, I snuck him out really, really late rounds in a lot of season-long leagues, and I'm looking, you know, like I kind of know what I'm doing in those right now, so I'm going to run with that. Uh, Tariq Cohen's going to be high owned, so, you know, for a few hundred more, I like CJ there. And uh, value play, I'm going to go, um, you know, really, really off the rails. How about uh, Matt Jones, Indianapolis? Wow, that is really off the rails. Um, okay, so for running back, um, I would say that it's scary, but Jay Ajayi is kind of the guy that I, I feel the best about. I, I, the Jets are just not a good football team. And, you know, if we find out that Ajayi is healthy, I'll probably end up with the most shares of him. All the other names up top uh, are good. I would say my mid-price guy, and he's heading towards higher price, but Devonta Freeman has looked really good. Uh, there's still a timeshare, but it seems a lot more stable than it was with Kyle Shanahan. And that game is the blow-up game, and I, I, I like him. And my contrarian play is, you know, that lineup that you referenced and that I talked about earlier where I got 10th place. Uh, I had Chris Thompson last week. It's trying to find a low-owned PPR, you know, third down back who has a chance to go off. The guy I'm going to throw out this week is Gio Bernard. Everyone just seems to assume that Joe Mixon is going to, you know, with the new uh, coordinator is just going to take over. Well, Bill Lazor is a passing guy, and the best passing back on that team is Gio Bernard. And they're playing on the, you know, on the road against Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay there's a very good chance they're behind in that game, which would mean a lot of action for Gio Bernard at 3,800, and he's going to have almost no ownership. Um, I'm hoping he's the guy that uh, that I have 10 to 15% of in GPPs that catches fire and gives me that one really good uh, boost that I'm looking for. How about uh, wide receiver, Mahler? Yeah, as I mentioned, I like the Atlanta and and uh, Lion game, so I'm looking at uh, Julio Jones up top, 9,300. If you're playing uh, Jacoby or one of the value guys, you can piece these uh, high-priced running backs and receivers in. Um, like I said, uh, I like Eli Manning, but if you're going to play Eli, go ahead and pair him with Odell because I think Eli will be so low-owned that it would be to your advantage. Um, same with A.J. Green and uh, Andy Dalton that, that I liked earlier. I really, really like Keenan Allen uh, against the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs get out to a, a lead and try to run and uh, force the Chargers to throw, and we know how many targets Keenan Allen gets. As you move down, um, the lower price guys I'm looking at this week, I like Emmanuel Sanders to have another big game. I was on Thielen. Uh, hoping Bradford played, so I scratched all Minnesota Vikings off my list once we found out he was gone, as did most people. Um, so I'm looking at uh, Marvin Jones, 4,200. He scored a touchdown both weeks so far. Uh, maybe Nelson Aguilar, um, 4,200 right below him is my value place. All right. Um, 
I'm super high on Devontae Parker this week. Um, yeah. I'm also very high on Deshaun Jackson. And I would say that my contrarian guy is, is uh, up-priced. It seems like everyone is assuming that uh, Devontae Adams is the best person to target with Aaron Rodgers. I think there's going to be people playing Geronimo Allison at 3K, and I'll have some as well. But I think paying up to be contrarian and having Jordy Nelson is a really, really great strategy. Um, Jordy has crushed from the slot in the past. It looks like he's going to play the slot. And he's got the injury that people are worried about. I won't go crazy, but Jordy Nelson is my pay up to be contrarian. How about tight ends, Mueller? Yeah, as we move over to tight ends, um, some cheap guys. I'll start there just because I mentioned them earlier. Um, Austin Hooper for Atlanta. Um, You can look at Ebron from that game if you want a low-owned guy. Um, You know, keep an eye on Gronk. If Gronk is out or limited, I really, really love Dwayne Allen. Um, you know, he's gotten a few early targets and in the red zone the last few weeks, and I think without Gronkowski, I think at his price, he's a huge, huge asset tomorrow. Um, we saw Kelsey Beast uh, start back up last week. He was lining up at every position on the field, basically, so you always have to love Kelsey, um, you know, as a top play. Um, look at the, the Carolina depth chart. You know, Olsen's going to be out, so um, Ed Dixon, uh, he's only 2700 If you need to save some money there, he'll be my uh, contrarian slash value pick at tight end. Yeah, tight end, I really don't have a contrarian play. Um, you know, I've got going to have heavy ownership on Ertz, heavy ownership on Jack Doyle, heavy ownership on Eric Ebron, and a decent amount of Jared Cook and 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 not much else, a little bit of Bennett. So um, let's go over to defense. Defense, yeah, I miss Jared Cook. He's he's um, almost uh, a cash game play for me, and uh, I totally missed him. But he's facing uh, a defense that gives up lots of points to tight ends. So that was a good call there. I'm glad you caught that. Uh, defense, of course, first play for me is your Philadelphia Eagles. Um, we watched the last two weeks how pathetic the New York Giant line is. They're going to be the chalk play, um, one, because they're, you know, facing an offensive line that gives up tons of sacks. Giants are turning the ball over, but they're also only $3,000. So they're going to be the top play, going to be the chalk. I'm looking at uh, Pittsburgh at Chicago. I think they're uh, a good pivot off um, the, the Eagles if you want to spend up for uh, for another $400. Um, if you're looking way down in price, you know, near the minimum, uh, maybe take a chance with the Jets, uh, hoping Miami uh, injury woes, you know, uh, catch up with them. And, and Cutler's known for a pick six. So if you really want to take a chance and save money at defense, the um, huge contrarian play is the Jets. All right. Um, again, I don't have – sorry? <laughs> Did you like that chuckle with the Jets contrarian play? I mean, I, I just – it sounds oh, yeah, so that's, crazy. Uh, that's pretty contrarian. I mean, it sounds crazy, but Cutler throws so many interceptions and pick sixes that, you know, you could hit the jackpot by, by playing somebody that you might be the only one in your tournament that plays him. No, I, I don't disagree. And uh, 
I, I, you know, for me, it's look, I'm going to have a lot of Eagles. I want to be ahead of the field. Uh, yeah. I know you're counting on Eli coming back and playing well, but uh, it's possible. But, you know, a pick six and some sacks is also pop, uh, possible. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have the Chiefs a good bit. And I guess uh, I really don't have a – I guess if I well, am going cheap this week, it's the Titans. Uh, but the Steelers are my, you know, my second highest owned defense and my third highest owned I'll call them contrarian, is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, we found out that the, uh, you know, that the Bucks are going to be facing uh, not Sam Bradford, but Case Keenum and at 3,200 with low ownership. I think people aren't going to be keeping an eye on that game. And, uh, and the Bucks have a good defense, so I will have some of the Bucks. Mauler, always great to have you on. Um, thank you for putting up with some technical issues in week three, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week. Yeah, um, as always, it's uh, good to be here. Good to be here every week, and uh, good luck to you again tomorrow. I want you to stay hot so that way we can kind of have a sweat at the end of the night like we did last week. So take care. It would be and, uh, awesome. We'll- it would be awesome. All right, so um, we're going to move on to the doctor, and uh, I think I fixed his show. If not, it's going to be really, really embarrassing because I deleted the other one with the uh, with the bad. But uh, let's get the doctor's music. I need you. Once again, please welcome to the show, Dr. Jeffrey Budoff. Doc, how are you doing today? Living the dream, Todd. How are you? Um, it's been an interesting week, but I'm finally starting to feel better, and I'm glad to be talking to you again. I guess the big injury that I wanted to talk to you about this week is Sam Bradford. Um, saw some really interesting information about how they could barely tell if his MRI was intact if his ACL was intact with the scar tissue. Uh, what can you tell us about Sam Bradford, and can we expect to see him back on the field soon? Well, there's something we're not being told. I mean, he had an ACL reconstruction in 2013. It failed, had to have it redone in 2014. And then he had, you know, everything's going fine. And Friday before last week, in other words, eight days ago, we're told his knee is not doing well. He's getting an MRI. There is no contact. That's what we were told. Now, he said, yeah, he might have twisted it against New Orleans in week one. Now, we were told the MRI was essentially negative. There's a lot of scar tissue. You know, his last surgery was three years ago. Any MRI is not going to be as accurate after you've had surgery performed. There are just post-surgical changes that make things tougher. That's normal. He, he had full motion. He's been playing football on it for three years. So it's not anything different. It's just there's no excessive scar, which is called arthrofibrosis, and he would have had more surgery. I mean, there's nothing with the scar. They, it's just something they tell laymen 
rather than have to explain about MRIs and imaging sequences. And, you know, it's just shades of green and MRI, and it gets a little bit convoluted after surgery, but there's nothing with the scar. Um, now, then they came out, he had a bone bruise, and something smells. I mean, because you know how, like, when you come home, your house is a mess, and you get the kids, and they're looking at each other, and nobody's giving you a straight answer, and you know there's something big they're not telling you. And that's kind of how I feel. That's how I feel with Sam Bradford, because a bone bruise lights up like a Christmas tree on an MRI. I mean, either he has a bone bruise or his MRI was negative, but it's not both. You know, because he would have said, okay, he had a bone bruise from his MRI, on his MRI, and that's it. And then here's the thing. You can get, basically, to simplify it, you get a bone bruise under your cartilage in the joint, or you have one away from the cartilage in your joint. So you take a helmet to the knee, you can get a bone bruise. Now, if you, if you look at a chicken bone and you break it apart, you know there's the outer cortex of the hard stuff that you broke that you cracked. But if you look on the inside, what you might call the marrow, then all these little, they're called trabeculae, but little like shingle-like frail pieces of bone. Well, when you break those on the inside, but the outer bone is intact, so it's not a fracture, that's kind of a bone bruise. And that can be painful. Now, if you take a helmet to the shin right below the knee, then you could have a bone bruise. But, you know, it's a pain tolerance issue. It's not really near the joint. Now, if he does whatever, twisted or steps funny or, you know, somebody will step on a pothole, and then the two bones, the tibia and the femur, slam together and they bruise the bone under the cartilage, that's a bone bruise underneath the cartilage and that you better rest because that could you know if you collapse that could lead to arthritis and real problems permanently with a knee which they're not going to do for sam bradford again that would light up like a christmas tree on the mri and they would know that they know he's out four to six weeks or whatever you know depending on the size of the bruise so they would not have said well he'll be playing week three until he didn't or they wouldn't say well we'll check him out as a game time decision week two so I, I don't know if I'm buying the bone bruise thing. What he probably has is from his two ACL tears is some cartilage damage. In other words, a chondral injury. And those don't show up on MRI. And even if they do, sometimes they don't want to admit it because, you know, I don't know, when uh, Bridgewater comes back, might they try to trade him? Does it hurt the trade value? It would limit his longevity as an athlete. So I think it's probably a subchondral injury, and either it didn't come out in MRI or they're just not talking. Yeah, so the I, bone bruise thing. I would it think doesn't make sense to me. I would you no, know, I, I get it, and I would think that if it was something very serious, they would have wanted him to get right. You know, like a cleanup was needed on the cartilage. They'd want to get him in in and out as quick as they could with that. So um, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see on him. The next guy we're going to talk about is Jordan Reed. Uh, what can you tell us about Reed's multiple injuries and not only what it looks like whether he'll play, but how effective he can be playing uh, this Sunday? Yeah, well, as Gruden, his coach, says, you know, he's not real healthy right now. Uh, he probably has the sternoclavicular joint sprain. That's where your clavicle or your collarbone meets your chest or your sternum. Uh, that, that can be real painful. Uh, and if you get a hit again, he could be knocked out of the game. I mean, they'll pad it, 
But pain can do so much. It can be painful to, you know, elevate the arm going up for a catch. You can have weakness there. It can be painful crossing the body like for a catch or if you land on it. It can hurt for quite a while, a month or two. Um, you know, if he falls on it, if he gets hit there with a helmet, you know, that can really, you know, aggravate it and knock him out. And, you know, the opposing defensive players know that too. You can inject it. Uh, basically, he didn't practice Wednesday, limited Thursday, Friday. He'll probably play. He won't be 100%. I mean, I don't know how effective he'll be. He's a risk for re-injury, re-injury meaning leaving the game early. Um, he also has this broken toe, which is probably the sesamoid bone or the little kneecap in the big toe, which he is treating with an orthotic. But, you know, it's a thin piece of plastic between him and, you know, and playing and not playing. So he, he's risky. Yeah, I, I would uh, I'll probably start him in SFB if he's playing. Uh, but what what he's really accomplishing by starting is, is you know, for DFS, I'm out on him. Uh, but if uh, but what he's doing by giving it a go and trying to play is it makes it impossible to start him or Vernon Davis for DFS purposes. And um, so I, I guess we're looking for hoping for clarity one way or another pretty soon. Third guy on our list today is Rob Kelly. Um, they're talking about rib bruise. It's not the best running game, but Oakland is not the best run defense. Um, how much do rib injuries hurt running backs when you know when they try and play through them? Yeah, well, it's not broken. We know that. I've heard conflicting reports. Is it bruise or is it a cartilage injury of the rib where it meets the sternum? Basically, he's been limited all week, and he can play. He'll play with padding. You know, if it gets a shot, would it hurt? Yeah, but those flak jackets are pretty good. The problem is it can affect your ball security. Now, you know, when you hold the football, you hold it against your chest, and it's sort of digs in because there's a softness there and, and it helps you hold it. It sort of folds over it a little bit, if you know what I mean. But the padding doesn't do that as much. So he is at high risk of fumbling with, you know, Gruden as his coach. He doesn't like fumblers and, you know, P. Ryan will be in. I think they so execute. He'll play. Yeah, I, I think so. You hang the first and the rest fall right yeah, into line. Yeah, by, right? by his thumbs so that they, yeah. they stretch out and can hold the ball better. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So, you know, it's, you can start him. He won't be quite as effective, and it's risky. Again, he could get pulled if he fumbles. So, you know, buyer beware. Gotcha. Last guy we'll talk about today, uh, it looks like he's heading toward playing. But what I want to know on Jordy Nelson is, and, and here's why I'm asking, I think he's a contrarian play coming off the injury in DFS. Uh, most people are going to be on Adams. Some people are going to be going after uh, Geronimo Allison at 3K. And you're going to see some people taking Martellus Bennett. I don't think many people are going to play Jordy Nelson. I could be wrong. I think he's going to have low ownership. But off this type of injury, can we expect to see the real Jordy Nelson? Or is this the kind of thing that you've you got to continue to be worried about even if he starts the game? Yeah, uh, I think I'll be fine. You know, he took a knee to the quad just above the knee. If you ever watch MMA or if you've ever done it, 
that's where you aim for. And because that hurts like heck and just destroys your mobility when you get nailed there. It, it is extremely painful. And that's what happened to him. And he tried to shake it off and he just couldn't get going. But it wears off and he's been practicing in full all week. And I, I think I'll be fine this week. All right. Awesome. Doc, I appreciate your thoughts. And hopefully we don't have too many injuries to our fantasy players. And we'll talk to you about whoever gets hurt next week. Sounds good, Todd. Look forward to it. Thank you so much. All right. That was the doc. And uh, he gave us the news. Uh, Our next segment is our college segment. Um, Some good games going on. And we're going to talk to LJ. get you excited for some college sports how about it lj yeah definitely how's it going todd how you doing i'm doing great i'm really glad you could make it again uh another week in college football there's some good games going live but there was one really big game this week why don't you tell us about it and which one are you referring to the nc state are we talking tcu okay state uh, the one i was looking at was tcu but if there was uh, you know cover both Oh, yeah, no. That that was a huge game. I mean, a lot of people going into this, they, they talked about TCU's defense for, you know, leading up to this, that, that they're serviceable and that they would have a shot against Mason Rudolph. But, you know, it turns out they, they were more than serviceable. They ended up holding Mason Rudolph to a 53.7 completion percentage this uh, this game and ended up pulling it out 40, 44 to 31, and that was uh, – a that was exciting. I was uh, I was really looking forward to that game all week, and you know they somewhat made made Mason Rudolph look human, and it was uh, their their defense held up. TCU's defense held up. They uh, they ended up doing it on the back of uh, Darius Anderson, their sophomore running back, who he ended up having 160 yards and three touchdowns. And they, that backfield is loaded. They have Kyle Hicks, Darius Anderson, and one guy who in uh, the Debbie world that people are very fond of is Siwo Olanilua, and uh, he's another sophomore back. But Darius Anderson was the one that, that popped off, and that was, that was a it was a barn burner. But in a sense, you know, it wasn't the 60 to 70-point game that, that I was expecting, but it was still – it was a nice game. I was, I was actually happy to see TCU get that one. Yeah, the, the Horned Frogs, correct? Yes, TCU Horned Frogs. Yeah, probably the worst uh, name in college football. But uh, and when I was growing up, they were always awful. But uh, uh, w- me growing up was a long time ago. You mentioned the uh, North Carolina State game, and that was a pretty big upset, wasn't it? Yeah, and the thing is, though, is NC State they've uh, they've sort of been underrated this this whole year. They got one of the best defensive fronts with, uh, and that that's held up by Bradley Chubb on the defensive line. But, you know, and I knew that was going to be a struggle coming in because FSU, they're rolling with their freshman quarterback, getting his first actual start with uh, DeAndre Francois going out in that season opener against, season opener against Alabama. But, uh, yeah, and Florida State's D-line, our O-line is just they, – they, they were outmatched big time. And, you know, it was uh, 
it was a fun game. No, there's a lot of prospects in that game. Like, you know, like I mentioned, Bradley Chubb. And on the offensive side for NC State, they have Kelvin Harmon, sophomore wide receiver, who he didn't do much at all. And Florida State's DBs, you know, sort of clamped him down. Jalen Samuels was the one that did work for them. But then you got Auden Tate on the Florida State side. And uh, he he had a really good game. I mean, he ended up going out, and that was a bummer because when he went out, he went out on a long catch and he at that point he had 11 targets nine receptions 138 yards and a touchdown they didn't really seem to have an answer for him but he went out and it shifted the game a little bit and freshman running back cam Akers, he uh he had a few questionable decisions as a runner i, I expect more out of him but it was a, it was a good game i mean it's a tough task for a freshman running back to go against the defensive line that he did Yeah, a couple really interesting games going on right now, and one that was supposed to be interesting that so far isn't. Mississippi State going into Georgia to play the Bulldogs, and they're getting routed, aren't they? Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, this was a big game for Mississippi State's quarterback, Nick Fitzgerald, who, you know, he's he's a dual-threat guy. He's also really good at throwing the football, you know, he has a good enough arm, and he's got a lot of touch. But, yeah, I mean, that Georgia defense, they they are on lockdown. And the thing is with this is we're watching uh, Notre Dame the, the last couple of weeks run all over teams, you know, and, and then you look at their stats against those other teams compared to what Georgia did to them. And their, their front seven, you know, their outside linebackers, their D-line, they got one linebacker, Roquan Smith, for Georgia, who he's a round one talent in my eyes. He's not being talked about. As such, but I definitely see it, and uh, so that that defense, it's it's just too much for Mississippi State. And then you got Nick Chubb, who I think he's back to you know close to what his old form was. Their their senior running back, who's just a spark freak, and he, you know, he's getting close. He's not quite what he was before his injuries because he had you know he busted his knee up and stuff. But he's I mean, still a, that was he's still a top four back for me. That was probably the, one of the worst leg injuries I've ever seen at the time. Um, I mean, oh, it's amazing that? he's even on the field. If you if you saw, you know, if you look back to that injury, I mean, it was pretty gruesome. Yeah, and the thing you can sort of compare it to is I'm not sure how many baseball fans are listening, but earlier in the season, Bryce Harper, when he, he extended and reached out to put his foot on the bag and, like, hyperextended his knee backwards, it was – that's how it was for Nick Chubb, but, like, times 10, you know, and it just completely destroyed his knee. And, you know, yeah, it's – cool to see him even playing football at this point and here he's dominating you know he's got uh last i checked i flipped the games he, he was at 81 yards and two touchdowns so and they were up 31 to three but that that's yeah i thought that was going to be a good game but georgia's defense is just too much yeah i'm going to be rooting for him uh nick chubb in the pros uh you know simply based on that another game that um is active right now is uh in Iowa, and the Hawkeyes have kept it close. Uh, Penn State has just taken an 8-7 to seven lead, and I guess they're into the bullpen there, huh? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one coming in because, for me, preseason Penn State was the the team I picked out of the Big Ten to actually make the college football playoff because, obviously, you know, they got Saquon Barkley, uh, Trace McSorley, who he's a decent quarterback, He's a Heisman candidate coming in, but I, I don't think it's going to necessarily translate to the pros for him. But, yeah, this is a tight one. They actually just went up 14-7, to seven, and 
on on a uh, Saquon Barkley touchdown. It looks like so you know the the Iowa defense is for real. They they're uh, they're holding these guys. You know Josie Jewell. He's another linebacker that I really like. He's probably gonna be a midday pick, but this uh, actually they just went up fifteen to seven. So that's that's a good one too. I think I think Penn State ends up routing them in the end, but it was close for quite some time. Yeah, I uh it reminds me of my old joke after the whole Jerry Sandusky thing that uh he went from uh Penn State to the State Penn. <laughs> That's a good one and I actually have not heard that one yet. So I appreciate you bringing that up. It's funny uh you know some fantasy football teams people try to be a little vulgar and stuff with them and uh one of my home leagues, actually my home league, my redraft league that I do every year. Ever since that happened, he's the guy's team name's always been Sandusky's kids, and I'm just like, holy shit! <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I I try and be funny without like wanting someone to come on the air and choke me to death. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a that's a reach for me. I mean, you know, I try to I try, try to keep it somewhat civil, but yeah, yeah, no and one, that, uh, that's a cute little joke. It's it you know really hard to get offended by that one. Yeah, no, definitely. And this day and age, it's it's pretty easy to offend people. So I hear you on that. Yeah, that that seems to be a big thing now. Uh, you know, you can't say. You know, when I was a kid, you, you were just as rough on the people you didn't like. With you know, everyone was known by their nationality. I mean, it's it's just a different world now. You can't do that stuff, which took about half of my humor and 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 made it irrelevant, which is kind of sad. Uh, not that I ever meant anything by it, but you, you just, you know, you don't want to offend anyone and it's pretty easy to do it. So let's, let's uh, move off of the teams. You mentioned a lot of the players in those games, but who else really impressed you this, uh, this day, LJ? So, you know, I actually, one player I was happy to see have a bounce back game was uh, Luke Falk. You know, he, uh, two weeks ago, he ended up getting benched for, they said that it was precautionary. They said he got some type of injury in the game, and so they benched him in that game against Boise State where, you know, it ended up being triple overtime thriller. And his backup, Helinski, ended up coming in, who's got, you know, one of the weakest arms I've, weakest arms I've ever seen in college football, and somehow he pulled it out against Boise State. Well, you know, last week Luke Falk came back, popped off against Oregon State, was back to his old self, the same today against Nevada. I know those are two lower-end teams, but it's just good to see him get back and get his confidence going. And, you know, over his last two games, you know, I looked at the numbers, and outside of the numbers, he's just, he's dialed in. He's a, he's a guy who's, you know, he's driving the ball outside the hashes. He's hitting his guys deep. He's, uh, he, he's really – he's a quick thinker. You know, you can't always – just because a guy's going from one receiver to the next or, or really snapping his neck across the field, you can't – you can't necessarily translate that to, to scan in the field and, and going through their progressions, but he's one that I truly think does that. You know, he's a smart quarterback, and over the, the last two games, he's, he's got a 76% completion percentage, 874 yards, and 11 touchdowns with no interceptions. So he's one that, that I'm really happy for to, to see him go off. I'm a Husky fan, but, you know, he's, he's right down the road in Pullman, and he's one that I was happy to see. Uh, I, I, there's There's some other guys that are sort of – under the radar because they're underclassmen, but I, I wanted to talk about them a little bit. And uh, Brian Edwards, he's a sophomore from South Carolina. So Debo Samuel, a lot of people 
that follow college football know who Debo Samuel is, and he's just a, he's a dude all guy, big time returner for South Carolina. He's a he's he's six he's listed at six foot two ten, which is surprising to me because he looks a little shorter. But he's the, he's a feisty wide receiver. He ended up breaking his I want to say his foot last week, his leg or his foot last week, and uh, so they needed someone to step up. Brian Edwards uh, for South Carolina. They were in a tight one with Louisiana Tech. And and he did step up, man. He he had a forty-one catch, forty-one yard catch to to set up the game winner, and he ended up finishing with six receptions, one hundred twenty-two yards. And he's a guy who's just he's a sophomore. Like I said, he had a a breakout year last year as a true freshman. And the thing with him is he was playing as a freshman at seventeen years old until November is when he turned eighteen finally. And you know he's still eighteen, won't turn nineteen until. November this year, and he's just—he's a guy that they're going to need to step up, and he did. He's—he's six-three, two-fifteen, sudden, uh, attacks the ball well, and he's—he's he's one that I'm really happy about. So, uh, and w- one more, one more on our sure, go for go it. And, yeah, and that's a, a true freshman for Clemson. This is running back Travis Etienne, and and there's a guy there. Tavian Wait, you got to say that again uh, fast three times. Travis Etienne. <laughs> I think that's how it's pronounced. But uh, no, he he had a big boost for Clemson. They were in a tight one at first with Boston College, and uh, they have another running back, Tavian Feaster, who's a sophomore. He's a four-three cat, and he's he boosted up this year to uh, six foot. He's six foot, boosted up to two twenty-two this year. Still kept his speed, and I, I I was expecting him to be the feature back, but then Travis Etienne comes in, and he I mean he had nine carries, one hundred thirteen yards, and two touchdowns, and he does it with not only his speed, because he's got explosive plays. Went out for, I want to say, a 50-yard touchdown, but he's got a ton of power, too. And he's he's a guy that's still fluid, still shifty. And preseason, I was telling Feaster, but I think Etienne is now the guy that, that really deserves some credit. So that's that's another one that I wanted to speak on. All right. Um, who are the under-the-radar players that you'd like to tout? Well, there were two of them that I just popped off. Sorry, I went a little bit backwards on it, but uh, I think uh, I think a guy that that's he's actually having a hell of a year, but he's not really being talked about, and that's uh, Virginia Tech's Cam Phillips. He's uh, last I checked, I, w- I want to say he was third in receiving yards in the in the country. He's not too big, six foot one ninety nine, but if uh, people know last year, so they had. Isaiah Ford, Gerard Evans, the quarterback, um, Bucky Hodges, the tight end. Necessarily, he was actually a, a slot guy, but in the NFL when he got drafted, he was switched to a tight end. And those were some big-time prospects coming out, so a lot of people thought. And uh, Isaiah Ford ended up, I want to say, being a, a free agent, UDFA, to uh, Miami. Ended up being IR'd. And, and now, you know, so people were a little bit hesitant with these Virginia, Virginia Tech kids. But I think Cam Phillips is one that's, uh, you know, he's if anybody out there has watched Isaiah Ford, he's he's Isaiah Ford plus. You know, he wins deep. He's he wins with a, a good suddenness. He's a senior this year, so he'll be coming out in the draft next year. And, and I'm really, I'm really happy with what I've seen from him so far. And uh, the one I spoke about a little bit earlier was was uh, Auden Tate, who. I think he's sort of pushing for that wide receiver one. I'm not sure exactly what happened with his injury. Uh, it was – he got injured on the way down. You know, he laid out for a catch. I want to see it was like a 41-yarder. Excuse me, sorry. 
It's okay. It's a dog eat dog world. But yeah, no. Are you in an alley somewhere? No, I'm actually upstairs in uh, my parents' house. (laughs) We're on (laughs) we're on a little mini little mini vacation visiting, and so I'm up here watching watching some games. But no, I think uh, Auden Tate was is a guy that. He ended up catching, I think it was a 41, 50 yard or something like that. Ended up hurting his collarbone on the way down. And he's, uh, like I said, pushing for that wide receiver one. And it, it's a bummer that he went out because I think that was a big shift in the game for NC State and Florida State. And, uh, you know, so those technically, you know, I sort of went back asswards with that. And, uh, don't worry. Uh, those, uh, those are some those are some uh, prospects that that I'm really excited about. Awesome, awesome! Another amazing segment, LJ. Uh, really looking forward to seeing uh, what you have to say next week. Yeah, no, appreciate it definitely. And uh, outside that dog barking, we're all good. And yeah, all the listeners out there, you can uh, shoot me a follow on Twitter at Pacific Scouting. Check out the Debbie Watch podcast, and uh, definitely next Saturday I'll be ready to roll in the confinements of my own home, ready to talk some football. So take it easy, Todd. You got it. And uh, I'm glad you threw in where people can find you. I've been a little negligent on that today. So that was a good, very professional performance from a a young guy who's, uh, I really think is heading in big places in this industry. Uh, One day you'll be able to hear him on some big network, but for now you can check him out on my little pod. We're going to move on to our next segment, our numbers segment. I write for Rotoviz, and uh, fellow writer Matt Wispy is going to join me. And here's the numbers music. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Todd. How are you? I'm I'm great. I'm glad to have you on. Um, looks like uh, in the show notes you wanted to cover something that I was really glad that you wanted to cover because it was a, a, a newer series that's being done on Rotoviz by Ben Gretsch. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the series and uh, and then we'll take it from there. So yeah, like you said, I'm I'm covering an article by Ben. He's doing a series this year that. Uh, I'm actually, I'm also a huge fan of, it's the uh, Stealing Signals series. And he, so basically what he did in this, what what his goal with the series is to look at snap counts, look at um, efficiency numbers, look at expected points and kind of pull together which pieces of, like which trends that are happening with teams are more likely to stick and those are he identifies those as signals and which ones of these are unlikely to keep up and he calls that the noise um so he uses snap data which i'm not entirely sure where he's pulling it from i think he's pulling it just straight from uh raw data that he's getting and um the rotovis screener to identify some of the efficiency numbers um and so, yeah, by pulling that together, he he does use a little more opinion. He's admitted that on this where he's trying to identify which is likely to maintain. But, I mean, within it, it's 
definitely one of the best series to try and provide some actionable data for yeah, I fantasy agree. players. I, I really enjoyed it. And look, you know, we kid a lot on the road of his Slack chat about the, the, the analysts who get all bent out of shape because you copy something that they feel that they invented, but we're all really trying to work through the same data. And I, I think that Ben's come up with a really innovative way of looking at things. And um, the first team that you have on the list to talk about is the Houston Texans. Why don't you tell us about what you want to go over with the Texans? And so uh, the Texans were actually – the reason I list them first is they're kind of the most interesting team for me when I'm looking for something actionable. And I think the big takeaway I got from that Thursday game was that Deontay Foreman – I'm going to pronounce his first name wrong all season um, – he was getting first quarter carries, and it wasn't just like one or two. He Pretty much every time he was on the field – he was getting the ball, and I think it was something like – let me find it. It's uh, – he played – through two games, he's played 19 snaps, and he's received 13 carries, uh, of which 17 of those snaps and 12 of the carries came in this Thursday game. And that's definitely noteworthy um, for two reasons. One, if you're looking for a potential guy who's got some ceiling for the end of the year um, – if he impresses, if he does well, that's a guy that might just become a running back too or a flex option that you're get you still in some redraft leagues might be able to find on your waiver wire. And I, I, I would say that I mean if you look from week one to week two, you had a twenty three percent increase in snaps played. Um that's definitely worth noting, um, from that perspective. And if you're a Lamar Miller owner I mean, try and either buy Dante Foreman off somebody, some other owner, trade for him before he breaks out, or if he's somehow sitting there on your waivers, he's he's worth stashing because if something happens to uh, to Lamar Miller, either injury wise or inefficiency, um, and something he, always it does seem to happen to Lamar Miller. Yeah, I I would agree with that statement. He definitely is and, and my. He's than Lamar Miller. I mean, there's numbers and then there's the eye test and, you know, everyone has a different set of eyes, but so far he's looked better than Lamar Miller. I would agree. I, I, I mean, as you, I don't know if you'd started writing for Rotoviz at this point, but Dante Foreman was a great prospect. In our uh, Rotoviz prospect lab, he actually scored, I believe it was the highest score that we'd recorded since Adrian Peterson. And he also was um, the number one player in Kevin Cole's projection model for who he would project for most likely to have at least a top 12 season in his first three years in the league. He's a great prospect. And while there are some who saw him as just kind of a normal plotter, I know uh, me and Sigmund Bloom actually went back and forth on Twitter about him um, as a prospect from our perspective, he looks like the type of guy that you should be trying to own. And, I mean, if you were a zero running back team looking for somebody who is trying to potentially break out as the year goes on, it's definitely – he's one of those guys I'm looking to own as much as possible. Yeah, I'm slightly um, overweight on him in MFL 10s, which I'm 
I didn't like his tape when I, he looked a little stiff to me, but I'm new at that. But you mentioned labs. um, And I I just want to admit that uh, the rumor that Bill Belichick wasn't actually born, but created in a Petri dish is not true. Uh, But that's my segue to get us to the Patriots. Who's the next team on your list? So, yeah, so the Patriots were on my list because uh, the signal for that team is that the ball is getting spread around, um, and uh, the noise on it was the offensive snaps within the three. And I'm actually, in this case, going to focus on the latter one here. And I think we kind of all know where this is going. It's uh, Mike Gillisley. Mike Gillisley has five, I believe it's, does he have five touchdowns through two games? Um, I think it's 6,000. Yeah, he's he's got a lot of touchdowns. It seems like um, every time you look, he's been in the freaking end zone. Yeah, he's so for the big takeaway that Ben had from this is that you can project players who are going to be touchdown guys, and you can project guys that are going to get the opportunity, but it's hard to project this workload maintaining. And the reason he's been so successful so far has been he's he's scoring touchdowns it's actually it's i think it's four touchdowns i might have had it wrong but either way the first right now, game won the set. yeah so he had uh so far he's got 33 rushes for 114 yards and four touchdowns and it's hard to project that that's going to keep moving forward and while he has been incredibly efficient at what he's there for, which is the seemingly he has established himself in the goal line role. It is worth noting that he's not, even with his explosive game one, it wasn't necessarily as great as you might think. Um, And the other thing I attached in here was I attached a tweet from uh, Justin Woodruff, who's another Rotoviz writer. Uh, Since 1999, uh, a running back has scored three or more touchdowns in a game 170 times. And Mike Gillisley's 22.5 PPR points is tied for the seventh fewest. So for as great as we all look back at that first game and how it was amazing, uh, I mean, it's hard to argue against getting all the touchdowns. Um, it really yeah, he, he's I mean, not. I mean, he's in a timeshare, and he's TD dependent. You know, we want guys Definitely. who have good, you know, for DFS, we want guys who have great workloads and give you TDs. So uh, to Mm -hmm. cut to the chase a little bit, I agree with you um, that right now he's a little bit of noise more than a signal. Um, And I think that the Patriots, the key to the Patriots, and I'm not really on the Pats this week. I had a lot of them last week um, is figuring, you know, with injuries like Burkhead's out this week. So that's, that's a good thing that narrows it down. Um, so I think that's the key way to look at them. The next team on your list is the Titans. And so the Titans, the big signal was Derrick Henry's really good. His effectiveness, um, uh, he, I mean, he scored. The key stat that De- Bennett identified from this was that he had 6.7 rushing fantasy points over the expectate, over expected. Um, and so the – Rushing uh, expected points is a stat that he pulled from the road of his screener, and he was the sixth highest at exceeding that with all the running backs throughout the league in week two. And I think that's that seems like it's a, a reasonable expectation for him. Is 
because of the fact that he is a he's another one of those guys he does seem to get goal line work and where they're and that he's getting the high priority volume that it's not um it doesn't seem like it's unsustainable for him to be an efficient runner and exceed what you might expect for his points um it will be a little bit interesting to see that how the snaps break down for that team. Um, I know that DeMarco Murray, it's hard. It, it doesn't seem like he's going to go away entirely the way that he did in week two. And it may have just been once they realized that game was in hand to stop using him. And I, I mean, Derrick Henry was on the field for 44% of snaps, which was 16% up from week one. And DeMarco Murray was down 19% from week one at 54%. Um, but it, I also do think that it's probably pushing. We are starting to trend towards it's going to be eventually a timeshare there, and, or Derrick Henry may take over. Um, yeah, and, and you know, I w- if, you, if you ever caught my segment on the Fantasy Feast, Shout out, I was on the fantasy field. Um, I mentioned that Derrick Henry was a guy who typically I wouldn't draft because he was a guy who needed something to happen to really have a value. But if you look mm-hmm. further, Murray ended the season with a plantar injury. He's got a lot of work on on, on him on his career. So we do need an injury, but there's a chance that we might get it. And, you know, for season long, if he's available, you might, you might want to at least consider getting him. But for DFS, you, we really do need Murray to be out, but the signals are that he's being efficient, which is a good thing. Uh, And I will say that, go ahead. Uh, the, before we jump into the next one, I actually really want to quickly point out that we did a four-round, 12-team rest-of-season draft with, um, I like to say, five really sharp writers and me. Um, we did a 12-team style draft for the rest of the season for players, and Derrick Henry was drafted, and DeMarco Murray was not among this group. And in the group was Roto Doc, was uh, Sean Siegel, was Brian Malone, um, Hassan, um, Rahim, who I'm blanking on the last person, and now I feel bad. Um, well, don't worry about it, it but, but it's a lot of really smart people. It was a lot of people who are smart, and uh, there's and, a lot of you. real concern. And me, which is eh. Um, well, I, I, uh, that's exactly how I would play it if I had been in there. So uh, go ahead, make the – yeah, no, and Murray is someone that I faded all off season. I you know. I would be surprised. In fact, I have my MFL 10 ownership up now. Um, I've got four DeMarco shares out of 149 MFL 10s. So I guess that tells oh, wow. you how I felt about you DeMarco. You were not in on him. Yeah. What's that? Uh, the last person was Ben Gretsch, which now makes me feel bad. So uh, let's jump in. I'm yeah, actually I mean, going to jump in. Considering we're highlighting his article, you, you would think. <laughs> right? Right. Let's jump over to the NFC because uh, as much as I like to talk about Zay Jones and the Bills, uh, that game was terrible, and I think the takeaway was that game was terrible. So, uh, Yeah, you had the Bills, Bills. just to give uh, the people the short version. uh, Murray's passing game, uh, McCoy's 
passing game work is for real, but that really horrible running game Ben didn't feel was for real. So the first team you've got on the NFC highlights for Ben is the Detroit Lions. Yep, and the Lions are kind of interesting. I think uh, when you look at the fantasy producers right away, you do kind of point to the the Theoretics, the Kenny Galladay's, the Golden Tates, and the big signal that Ben has so far is that Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones are actually really dominating the team's air yard split. Um, and the noise that he pointed out was this, the passing running game split, we have to see that at, at a certain point, we have to kind of see it for longer to believe it. Uh, right now, they're actually, uh, r- they've rushed on 59 plays and passed the ball on 44, which for all the thought that coming into this year that they were going to be a team that was going to be among the passing leaders, and history had shown that this doesn't follow suit um and so i mentioned that kenny galladay and marvin jones are dominating the team air yards it's actually they between the two of them they have a 65 percent market share of all the air yards through the first two weeks and if i'm sure all your listeners probably know how that effect is but air yards are kind of a sticky stat in the fact that that josh hurstmeyer came up with that Josh, yeah, Josh is another one of those sharps that we I love having around. And I think he, I think you can find his work on AirYards.com. We're getting to the point correct. where I got to uh, kind of funnel this, so we're gonna do okay. a uh, we'll do a, a team and a quick point. How's that? Okay, that sounds right. great. So, so we hit the Lions. The Lions are right now. Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones, they're getting a lot of volume and they're getting it on routes that you would like them to get if you're a fantasy player. Um, uh, so the next Eagles team, I next. guess we'll, we have the Eagles. And for the Eagles, he has the signal is Zachary's receiving expected points and that uh, he's, he's going to be a fantasy producer. And the noise he had was that they only had 13 rush attempts for all of week two. Uh, his key stat for it, and I, this will be the only thing I really bring up, is that they've got 46 uh, pass attempts and 17 run in week two. And on the season, they've got 85 for 41. So if you're looking for one of their running backs to be super effective, kind of hold on them. Don't jump ship right away. Yeah, uh, and I don't know that I agree with that. I think this is going to be a much uh, more pass-happy team than uh... – you know, because they're just not running very well. Let's move on, but we'll see. Uh, obviously, I, I do agree with Ben that it's not going to be this significant. Uh, next mm-hmm. team up, the Bucks. The Bucks are uh, Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson combined for uh, 11 first-half targets. That's a signal. They are going to be heavily used. Um, the noise is the run-pass ratio. They, because of the fact that that they had a 26 to nothing lead at halftime, that team decided to milk the clock pretty heavily. So, if you were, uh, if you're a little concerned as a Mike Evans or Deshaun Jackson's owner, they're going to get in more competitive games. They're going to have to throw the ball more frequently throughout the game. So, even though their workload kind of fell off in the second half, um, don't don't worry. 
They started off the day when they were running up the score with 19 passes to 12 runs, and which they ended with a 30 pass to 34 run split at the end of the day. Look for it to be a little bit close to that 19 to 12 type ratio that they were doing when they were actually pushing the score. And while the buck stops here, we're not going to stop here. We're going to go to the Redskins next. So the Redskins, uh, the signal is uh, your, your boy Chris Thompson with his 12 targets uh, is the signal. And the noise is that he scored 17.3 rushing fantasy points over expectation. Do expect him to be heavily used in the passing game. He is. He seems to be a big part of their planned workload uh, in the passing attack. But the efficiency that he had running the ball expect that to take a pretty big step back and that he'll be very good, but not weak winning every single week. Yeah. I don't have much Chris Thompson this week. Uh, the key was to get him at a low ownership uh, On to the, the, the next and last team in this part of the segment, the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. And so for the Seahawks, uh, the signal is Chris Thompson's fourth quarter performance. Um, it, it's real. And the noise is 82 offensive plays. They're they're not going to be a high volume offense. They're not really the team that you should be betting on to be a high volume offense. But Chris Thompson is going to be the guy, and he he looks like he's legi- he looks like Chris he's Carson. a real running back. I mean, sorry, I'm stuck on Chris Thompson because he was my yeah. Guy I know. So was I last week. So uh, Chris Carson, he was used on 61% of snaps, which is up only 8% from week one. Expect that number to continue to trend upward and that he will be their primary um, non-passing down back. Awesome. So um, the the last segment we're going to do this week on the numbers portion is you wanted to talk about QB from the next generation stats that NFL.com is giving um, first guy on your list is Alex Smith. You're talking about so, the comp to 2016 and why he's been so much better in 2017. So the the big thing for him is that uh, he's actually been, and this might seem counterintuitive, he's been holding on to the ball a little bit longer. He's been holding on about um, a third of a second longer, which has actually added um, a little bit of yardage to his uh completed air yards he's gone from 5.6 to 5.7 which isn't super impressive but he's actually jumped up he was 37th in the league last year um at the end of the year and he's actually right now sitting about 26 or 26th in the league and he's gone down weirdly in intended yards but he's again he's up towards the top of the league or he's he's jumped up 11 spots from where he was last year he was 36 38th in the league in 2016 and he's jumped up to 27 and his aggression he's actually gone up three percentage points on aggressive throws which he's currently uh which is up three full percent and he's up about six spots in the nfl Um, and so the last guy we're going to talk oh did you finish with alex well so all i was saying is that because he's holding on to the ball a little bit longer and taking a little more time on his throws he's he's actually being a little more aggressive than he was last year so that's why we are getting a little bit more of the explosive plays and i guess some of that can go to Tyree Kill even though he's not my favorite person He might not be my favorite person but i think after he disappointed last week uh his ownership will be down and any week can be the big week so i definitely have 
Um, like I tend to with the Chris Thompson types, about 10 to 15 percent, maybe even a little more at Tyreek tomorrow as my lineup sit now. And we'll finish the segment off with a guy who um, he changed my opinion on Thursday. Um, so I had Brian Hoyer down and I, my, okay. the thing I wrote in there is why is he killing Pierre Garçon? Uh, he didn't kill, kill Pierre Garçon on Thursday. Uh, so I hope you were able to get, you kept Pierre Garçon in your PPR lineups. Um, because he did put up a pretty solid, I believe it was seven receptions for 142 yards. Um, but the big thing but, going but into this game, but he is Brian was, Hoyer. He is Brian Hoyer. If it, I was con- it, it, the reason I was con- go ahead. So the reason I was concerned is he actually ranked dead last in the league in completed air yards per attempt. He was at only 3.7 yards per um, attempt, and his intended air yards was at seven, which ranks 28th in the league in um in intended air yards per pass so i actually one of the reasons in my streaming defense article the reason why i actually highlighted the rams as a potential option um really glad they were above 50 percent ownership and not one of my main picks but the reason i point him out is he's not the type of guy that's going to beat you in the same way that some of these deeper pass throw uh throwers throwing i don't know words um some of these guys who are throwing deeper passes are going to beat you quickly and he unlikely to do it. Now, with that being said, I guess this can kind of show that the small sample size was real because he, he did put on a pretty solid performance against that Rams defense on Thursday night, but that game was just all kinds of weird. And I wouldn't bet on it. It was a great game to to watch though, especially if you had some girly and some hide in DFS. Well, yeah, I heard you, uh, you went into the Thursday night game just to get a little piece of Todd, or some Carlos Hyde and then threw in some Todd Gurley for fun. It, it, it literally was like uh, I was in a hotel room. I was sick. I had to move my mom into a nursing home the next day. Um, and it was literally four minutes before when I made the decision to put some Gurley in. So, uh, you know, it's just so simple, so small difference between what you can feel good about and feel bad about with these DFS slates. But that's going to wrap it up for our numbers segment this week with Matt. Matt, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you on Twitter? All right. Well, you can find me at Wispy the Kid, uh, W-I-S-P-E-Y-T-H-E-K-I-D. And I will tweet at you either angrily about the Buckeyes or I will try and tweet out some relevant stats throughout the week. Yeah, I uh, I have to keep playing the Michigan fight song right before your segment. <laughs> we'll see. I might send you an MP3 for next week. I, I, w- I will play it. We can mix up the college song for <laughs> LJ. That's Matt Wispy, everyone. Matt, great job. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. All right. Um, that leads us to the last segment of the night. Dominic um, at NVSOF. And Vizinsoft, well, we'll have him. Uh, we'll have him give you his uh, his. Uh, so I don't really have an official intro for uh, for Dominic. Uh, we did an episode where we talked about his blindness and about a little bit about depression. So uh, I'm going to play this to lead him in, and I know he can take the humor. Football is a rough game, and 
often a cruel one. Every time you lose, you die a little bit. You die inside a portion of you. Not all of your organs, maybe just your liver. Pain is inevitable. Pain is inevitable, and uh, life is not easy. Dom, how are you today? I'm doing good today. How are you doing? I am doing very well. I am always glad to talk to you. Uh, and uh, Dom is our resident defensive expert. Uh, we like talking about defense because it's something that kind of gets the short shrift on a lot of shows. It's, uh, but it's something that Dom's been focusing on for us. Um, and the first thing I noticed is that you've got three names that aren't on my radar for the most part this week. So I'm interested to hear why the Packers are someone you're really looking at this week. Well, if you go back to the last time, the first game of the season when they played at home against Seattle, Seattle has an atrocious offensive line and the Packers were able to exploit it and get pressure on Russell Wilson and not show how bad their secondary was. And right now, Cincinnati's offensive line is playing just as bad as Seattle's was. And it's even further into the season, so it looks like it's going to stay that way. So they should be able to get some pressure on Andy Dalton, who hasn't done anything yet this year. And with John Ross not playing this week, it's going to rely everything on A.J. Green, who obviously he should dominate the, you know, the secondary, but he can't do it all himself. So they should be able to get a lot of pressure on there. And the running game hasn't gotten started yet. So it's basically down to a one-man show with Cincinnati. So I would take the even the Packers defense over just A.J. Green. Great. Um, any, uh, what's the next defense on your uh, list? Well, I like, I like Baltimore. They're obviously playing the Jaguars, too. After a good week one, they looked terrible last week, and now they're going to their second home over in Wembley in London. But, you know, Baltimore is going to travel good. Their defense is looking almost like 2001 this year. So, they're, you know, they should – they're deep on defense. Their offense is injured all over the place with their defense. They have good defensive backs. If Fordle actually tries to throw the ball to somebody, they have a good front seven that could stop for net. So, I definitely like Buffalo in the early game – or, excuse me, Baltimore in the early game over in London against Jacksonville to hold them into single-digit points. Um, next team, we're gonna uh, we're gonna go swimming with some dolphins. Yeah, again, like I like I said every week so far, you know you have to. It's you know it seems like a just an easy target, you know hitting the low fruit to say go with the team that's playing the Jets. But until they prove you wrong, you know you have to do it. The defense looks better this year than they did last year. They're still healthy. You know they're they're gonna be fresher than the Jets because they've only played one game so far this year instead of two. You know, they, they look good against San Diego, or excuse me, Los Angeles in Los Angeles last week, and the Chargers are a much better offense than the Jets are. So I, I think they're everybody on the Dolphins is going to have a field day tomorrow, not just the defense. But, you know, one of my favorite streams for DFS is if he's healthy, Parker and uh, Cutler. And if not, I still like Cutler and Ajayi. Yeah, I, I, am, <clears throat> I am big on Parker. He's one of my most owned players tomorrow. Um and uh, I got a lot of Ajayi as well. I, I, you know, even without him being in cash, I own about 26% Parker. So that that's probably about close to 40% on GPP. 
Uh, last team on your list for the week is the Denver Broncos on the road against the Buffalo Bills. What do you like about that one, Dom? Well, the Broncos, as we know, for the past five years, they've had basically the best secondary in the league, and they're gonna, they showed that again last week against Dallas. And now it also looks like they can stop the run, which they couldn't do last year. They stopped Melvin Gordon in the first game. They totally stopped Ezekiel Elliott in the last game. You know, they caused Prescott to have to throw the ball 50 times. And if Taylor throws the ball 50 times, I still don't think he's going to throw a pass over 10 yards because they have nobody that gets downfield. So their secondary can stop them. Their linebackers are great with Von Miller coming in there. And they're going to put a lot of pressure on Tyrod Taylor. And they're going to stifle even LaShawn McCoy. So I just think that they're on the home or on the road, they're just, just the best defense in the league right now. It looks like Seattle's taking a little bit of a step back. So I think Denver's the top defense in the league right now. What do you think about my, uh, my selections? Uh, the Eagles and the Steelers. Those are the two teams that I have the most of this, uh, this week in DFS. I love both of those, especially the Eagles, because the Giants haven't shown anything yet this year. They were terrible on Monday night. They were especially terrible against Dallas on Sunday night. And, you know, it's just – I know the Eagles don't really have a secondary, but Eli Manning looks like he's done right now. It looks like Peyton Manning and, you know, his last year. Just Odell Beckham's not fully healthy yet. Brandon Marshall's a shell of himself. Shepard hasn't done anything yet. The only one that's doing anything is – you know, the tight end slash wide receiver Ingram, and he's not really, you know, he's still has a concussion this past week, so he may be limited in the game. And the Eagles are, I really like them at $3,000. And the same with Pittsburgh. They're a little bit more expensive. They're about 3400 I believe, on DraftKings. But going against Chicago, Chicago looked terrible last week. Howard has the bad shoulder, so it's we're going to have to see if Cohen actually can be a workhorse back this week, most likely, because I don't think Howard's going to be able to do a whole lot. They don't have anybody in the pass game other than maybe Zach Miller. So Glennon's not really going to have anybody to throw to either. So just with the decimation of the Bears' offensive weapons, I think Pittsburgh's a very good call this week. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our defensive segment. Dom, tell everyone where they can find you on Twitter and a really great job. Uh, uh, great, great information. And uh, I love, love the way you laid it out for everyone. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, Envision FF. It's E N V I S I O N F F. All right. And if you are someone who uh, wants to help support Dominic or give him some future airtime, I I don't want to keep belaboring the point, but he does have a uh, an issue that leaves him home and uh, being you know blind. And uh, I know that uh, doing these types of things is very helpful to him. So even if you need someone to do a little bit of research, follow him on Twitter, check him out. Maybe he could help you out as he's been helping me out. And uh, I really appreciate it, Dom. You have a great night. Thank you. You as well. And good luck tomorrow. Thank you so much. All right, folks. Um, we're going to, uh, yeah, as I, I mentioned, probably ad nauseum, I was a little sick, uh, finally started feeling better, uh, did a lot yesterday, moving my mom into a nursing home. Uh, for all you young guys who aren't there at my age yet, uh, th- that's 
nothing you ever want to do. And it's been a little bit of an emotionally draining week. Uh, so we're going to, uh, we're going to cut it a little short and I'm glad to do it. Um, I always like to leave us with a song last week. I proved it all night. Hopefully your teams will prove it all night. When we get to the, the late game, you're going to have some sweats uh, and hopefully the information that I shared help. Uh, we're going to finish up with Bruce Springsteen and prove it all night. Have a good, uh, good, good weekend guys.